0: the Christmas story, because the Christmas story is a story of hope. Even in the Old Testament, as the prophets would write of the coming Messiah, there was hope. In the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, we find that hope articulated in a unique way, because for almost eight chapters... The decline of Israel was cataloged by the prophet Isaiah. He shared how they as a people had turned away from God. And as Isaiah wrote, I'm sure it broke his heart to warn them of the coming judgments that God would bring upon them as a people because they had entered a covenant with God. They had promised to be his people to follow Him, to keep His commandments. God, as always, upheld His end of the bargain, but the children of Israel did not. And so, for the coming near future, there hung over them this terrible feeling of judgment because God is always true to His Word He had shared with them when they entered the covenant together, that if they upheld their end of the deal, there would be blessing and provision. But if they turned away from God and refused to uphold their end of the deal, then God would remove his protection and he would remove his blessing. And so it looks ominous as we look at those first eight chapters, but then we come to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we find hope. And that hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me again at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And here, the Word of God shares with His people, His covenant people, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What hope we find in those words. Because they promise the coming of one who would turn things around the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find as we look at this text is, first of all, the identity of the Lord. Notice the sixth verse points out first of all that there is a Messiah who is coming and Messiah means deliverer, anointed one, the one that God specifically gives to carry out His work here on earth. He's identified in this text very clearly as one who will be given. Now, what does that mean to us? That God gives the Messiah to the covenant people and ultimately to the world? What it means is this. Nothing in man earned the Messiah coming to earth. No good in us made God look and say, wow, these people are so good. They deserve me to send my one and only Son. He's given to us Because God has a gracious heart of love. He saw us in our need, and before we even knew about our need or cared about our need, God provided His Son, Jesus Christ. He gives Him not only to the covenant people, but to the world. The Son who is given is much, much more than just a human being. He's the Son of God. And we'll see as we go into this that He is God become man. God in the flesh. But even in the Old Testament, the specialness of this person, this one who would be given, this child who would be born, is shared by even one of Isaiah's contemporaries, Micah. In the book of Micah, the Scripture says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And look at the last part of this. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. What's the scripture saying about the uniqueness of this one who would be given? That he preexisted his coming into this world. Why? Why? Why was he the one that was from ancient times, from of old? Because he is God. Jesus Christ came into this world as God and as man. And he came as God and man to reach us in our need and provide for us what we could not provide for ourselves. You see, John put it this way in the New Testament. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ came to bring life to death. And He is the Son who is given. As He's portrayed by Isaiah here in Isaiah 9-6, as the child who was born, in other words, taking on human flesh and as the Son who is given, that is, the Son of God, what we find in this text is a picture for us of the ultimate deliverer. You see, in the mind of the Hebrew, they always thought of the deliverer as perhaps a political deliverer who would deliver them from the oppression of those around them. But what God truly meant was Jesus Christ came as a deliverer for the spiritual needs of man. And those are much more far-reaching On this Christmas, we need to give thanks to God for our Deliverer. And He needs to be your personal Deliverer. He delivers you from sin and its consequences. And if you're a child of God, He delivers you from the sin that you might struggle with. Jesus Christ is alive and He is still the Deliverer because He rose again. And we on Christmas should remember that. That that was God's purpose and God's plan. And the Christmas story is the beginning of God unfolding His plan of salvation for us in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in that today. Be thankful for the Son that was given. The child who was born. But then notice as we go on in the text... The sixth verse goes on to say the government will be on his shoulders. Now, we saw in Isaiah where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And I'm not going to try and say that second name again because I butcher it. But I want you to think for a moment about what's being communicated by that. Bethlehem was the birthplace of David, the city of David but it was also so small that it wasn't mentioned in many registries. It was a seemingly insignificant village just outside Jerusalem. It wouldn't even make a suburb. And yet, this is where the God of the universe chose to become flesh, chose to be born in this small village. And notice... That Isaiah brings out very clearly that the government would be on his shoulders. Now, what that means is this for the kings of Isaiah's time, clothing meant a lot, it expressed position. And for the king, he would have a robe that was placed on his shoulders to signify his authority and his sovereignty. And when the Scripture says the government would be on Christ's shoulders, what it's expressing is this, that the Messiah would be one who would take rule of the children of Israel and then ultimately He would rule the entire world. You see, Zechariah makes the following statement. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day... There will be one Lord, and his name the only name. Jesus Christ will rule the entire earth, is what the scripture tells us. Now, what the children of Israel couldn't see when Isaiah wrote this, it seems seamless when we look in Isaiah 9-6, doesn't it? He'll be born, and he'll become the ruler. And what we don't see a lot of times in prophecy are the gaps, We see points along the way, but we don't see the gaps that are in between. The time from Christ's birth to the time of his rule has been 2,000 years. That's a large gap. But as we're told in Scripture, in God's timing, that's only a couple of days, not even. But what the Scripture is telling us clearly here is that Jesus Christ is coming again to rule. He accomplished the salvation of the world in his first advent. For all who will believe and respond to what Jesus provided by his death on the cross, there is salvation and deliverance. But when he comes again, he will come to establish his kingdom on earth. And let me tell you something, at this Christmas season, that's something that should encourage you. When we look at this world, it is a messed up world, isn't it? We look at crazy people who have their finger right on the button, and disaster could strike this world at any time because you have corrupt people who are evil, and they seek to impose their will and their way on everybody that they possibly can. And very often we look at that, and it's frightening, it's frustrating. And if we didn't have the hope that God will sort these things out and that things are happening according to His plan, we would have a miserable existence. But what is God promising here? That Jesus Christ will come and establish His kingdom on earth. And we're going to see as we look at this a little bit later in the text that Jesus' establishment of his kingdom on earth will be a wonder. No more diplomacy where we have to worry about appeasing this dictator or this tyrant. But having the Lord Jesus Christ mete out justice and lead with authority in righteousness. What a message of hope. What a blessing we find in these words. But then as we move on in the text, we see Isaiah say even more about the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he will be called by several names. And I want us to look at some of the names that Isaiah mentions because they're descriptive. They describe the attributes and the character of Jesus Christ. From Isaiah's standpoint, the coming Messiah. From our standpoint, our Lord and Savior, born in Bethlehem. But look at these descriptions. The first description, wonderful. Now, wonderful is overplayed by a lot of us, right? Somebody does something, we say, wow, that was wonderful. It has no meaning in our culture. But the word has a great deal of meaning. You know what wonderful means? It means that it's something that is so great, we stand in wonder. In other words, it's something where we just stand there with our mouth hanging open going, wow, I can't even express what I've just seen or experienced. That's the idea of wonderful. Okay? A piano solo where a little kid at a recital hits about 75% of the notes and will say, oh, that was wonderful. That ain't wonderful. Okay? Wonderful means that I am standing here looking at something that I'm having trouble processing. I'm not even sure if I can understand what just took place. That's the idea of wonderful. I lived in Colorado We'd go driving in the mountains. And every once in a while when you'd pull around a corner and you'd see a vista, you'd have a pull-off. And they put a pull-off there because everybody did the same thing. They would go, wow. And you just have to pull off and take it in. That's a glimpse of wonderful. But Jesus Christ is so much more. He is wonderful beyond human description. Look at the next title, Counselor. Now, counselor describes his role as the one people will listen to, not counselor in the sense of an advisor. A lot of times when we think of a counselor, it's somebody that you go to get advice from. Well, this means so much more. It has the sense of authority where he tells us to do something, and we follow what he says. Jesus Christ is the counselor, and what it's speaking of is the authority of our Lord, He's so much more than a baby born in a manger. I think people enjoy Christmas so much because it's not threatening. A little baby in a manger, that's kind of cute. Let's all talk about the little baby Jesus because that brings Him to a level to where we can feel comfortable with Him. But He's King, Messiah, Lord. And He is the one who dies on the cross for our sin. The little baby in the manger is the beginning of the story. The king, the savior, essential parts of the story that we have to understand. Look at the next title, Mighty God. This is a powerful text to show the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is both God and man. Isaiah doesn't mince words about who Jesus is, does he? This coming Messiah. He is the mighty God. No ordinary man. Both God and man, born in the flesh, but mighty God as well. And you know, earlier in Isaiah, in the seventh chapter, he made this statement. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now what does Emmanuel mean? In case we don't understand the word of God spells it out for us. Because in Matthew 122 it says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. What does it mean? Which means God with us. That's who Jesus is identified clearly here by the prophet Isaiah, mighty God. And then look at the next statement, everlasting Father. Now, for some, this gives theological problems. Now, wait a minute. You have a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why is he called everlasting Father in this text? And what we have to do is go back into time and understand what the term everlasting Father meant. The term everlasting father very simply means the father of all time. In other words, he's eternal. He's beyond time itself because he is the one who established time, he's the creator. Jesus Christ is once again identified as God because only God is eternal he has existed in eternity past he exists in eternity future he is the everlasting one the father the one who has an authority over eternity itself that's what's expressed by this statement and then look at the last statement prince of peace now when we think of prince we think of someone who's just a notch below the king right Not the meaning in the original Hebrew. Prince very simply means ruler. Or one who is master over something. And I love the way Christ is presented, portrayed in this text. Because remember, after eight chapters of talking about how the people of God had wandered away, walked away from God. Now the prophet Isaiah says that there is one who will bring peace to Israel, and not only peace to Israel, but peace to the world at large. The prince of peace, the ruler, the master of peace, the coming Messiah. We know him as Jesus Christ. But you know, the peace that Christ brings is much greater than just the absence of conflict as far as world leaders and countries getting along. The greatest peace that Christ brought was peace with God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. More than just world peace... Jesus accomplishes something that's much more difficult, and that's peace between me and God. But I want you to look at the path to peace, being justified through faith. What that very simply means is this. Jesus Christ came into this world to live a perfect life among us and to die on the cross for each and every one of us, that we might have forgiveness of sin. When we trust Him by faith, that is, take God at His word, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient, we are justified. Justification means it's, it's an act of God where He declares us righteous in Christ Jesus. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we do. It's something that God provides and it is released to us by faith. The moment we trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, we are justified before God. No longer is there that sin and separation that stands between us and God. We now have peace with God. What a wonderful thing Christ did for us. And bring the, being the, the Prince of Peace, that brings that peace described so well by the Apostle Paul. But you know, the text doesn't end here. As we move on into the seventh verse, we find more promises concerning our future and what will come because of Jesus Christ. When we look at the first part of the seventh verse, you know what we find? That Jesus will be one who will completely reign in peace over all. It says, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Now I want you to think about each element of this passage The idea of peace was something that was announced by the angels even at Christ's birth. We've all read the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, right? And we've heard it read every Christmas. And what was the message of the angels to those shepherds? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom God's favor rests. Why did the favor of God rest on men? Because He was providing the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. The only hope, the only solution for man's needs, bringing inner peace, as far as our peace with God, which is most important, but ultimately bringing peace on earth because He's Messiah. That's what the Word of God promised. And here's the wonderful truth that we find in this text. This peace will increase because His governance will increase. Today, isn't it frustrating to see the lack of justice? We see people get off with crimes that Everybody knows that they've committed. They even sometimes confess to having committed it. And what happens? A technicality comes along and boom, nothing, right? Frustrating. We look at governments where food is sent, but in order to control the people, what happens? Warlords take the food. People literally starve to death so that some warlord can show his power. Frustrating, heartbreaking. The famine that goes on in the world takes place because evil men refuse people the daily sustenance of food. There's plenty of food to go around to feed the world, but greed and power and lust for power keep people from experiencing even the basic needs of life. But that will change. When Jesus Christ returns and establishes His kingdom on earth, no more. Somebody tries to make a claim or a statement that opposes Christ and as God in the flesh reigning on earth, crushed. Stopped. No opposition. People will not see a decline in peace and His governance. They will see an increase. What a blessing. What true hope we find in these words that describe the coming Messiah. From Isaiah's standpoint, he was looking to the first advent. From our standpoint, we look to the second. But Jesus Christ is the answer to both. And then we also find this. He will continually reign in justice and righteousness forever. Notice Isaiah says this. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Now, first we see the fulfillment of a promise that God had made to David. David was promised by God that there would be someone on his throne forever. Jesus, a descendant of David fulfills that. When we look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, it says this, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That was the promise made to David. And then in the New Testament, what do we find? Dr. Luke shares with us the fulfillment when he says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. But more than just that, he is promising just governance, just judgment. Look at the scripture with justice and righteousness. He will be upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Once again, we look and we see corruption everywhere, don't we? Even in our own government, there is corruption. We see people play politics. We see lust for power and money driving the decision-making, even driving our justice system, right? If you have money, more than likely you'll get off. Not so when Jesus Christ rules the earth. There will be just judgment. Why? Because he sees and knows everything that is done. Some fancy lawyer can't come along and say, things to a jury that will manipulate them and bring them to a place to where they emotionally respond and forget intellectually what they've been shown because Jesus Christ is the just judge he will look and he will say you're wrong you have sinned here's the punishment that's the Jesus Christ that we worship And He is the Jesus Christ who will rule on the throne of David. The prophet Jeremiah says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. How we look forward to that. And at Christmas... Remember that baby who came in the manger is all of this and so much more. Final point. He will carry this out by his zeal, not others. God is promising that there will be a place for Israel and that there will be a place for those who follow him in the future. Now if we were to look on human performance, even in Isaiah's day, he looked and he said, these people deserve all of the judgment that God would bring and more. If it were purely based on human performance, God would have written his people off. But remember, God had made a promise to Abraham and God fulfills His word. God seeing to the Messiah's coming and His reign over the whole world and the peace that He provides is based on God's faithfulness, not the faithfulness of His people. And it's based on His zeal. Again, look at the last part of the text there in the seventh verse. The zeal of the Lord Almighty, will accomplish this. You know what zeal means? It's an emotion. And it's an emotion that drives us toward accomplishing something. When a person is zealous, and sometimes we use the word wrong, we use the term zealot in kind of a derogatory manner, saying that a person is over the top, but really when you look at it, Zeal is that emotion that gives us endurance, kind of stick to itness, right? That's zeal. Well, I want you to think about what the zeal of the Lord Almighty must be like. He's committed to seeing this world redeemed, brought back. To a place to where they worship the one true God. He's provided salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, to those who by faith are justified. And there will come a time where He will present Himself to the world and to Israel. And Israel will turn to Him, receive Him as Messiah, and the world will recognize Him as leader and as God at His return. And that's the hope of Christmas. Let me encourage you this morning to think on this text. To remember what the prophet Isaiah wrote. And when you read the news again and hear all of the craziness that's going on in the world, remember this. There's only one person who can sort this all out, and he's coming again. And he will establish his kingdom on earth. We can't change the peace that goes on in this world at all. I don't care who the president is. I don't care who he gets behind him. This is a sin-sick world, and there are going to be crazy people that evidence the evil that lurks within the hearts of all people. It's there. It cannot be changed only by the power of God does it change. So we can't control that. But you know what you can control? Your peace with God. You, as one who perhaps has never received Christ as your Savior, today you can have peace with God and you can know it by what the Scripture has said. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He died that we might be justified and by faith have that relationship with God. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, trust Him as your personal Savior. And what I mean by that is this. Don't just view Him as a concept, as a historical figure. As somebody who came into this world in a manger and died on the cross, and yes, he died for people's sins, and maybe you've heard all of that, and you know all of that, and you've expressed all of that, and that's good. But you need to take it one level further. And what that means is coming to terms with it personally. Coming to the place to where you say, yes, I believe that's true, and I believe that is true for me, and I need him as my Savior to forgive me that I might have peace with God. Child of God, maybe years ago, you came to the place where you trusted Christ and you have peace with God as far as your position and your standing with Christ, but there's not much peace in your fellowship with God because you've chosen to go your own independent way. Maybe you made a commitment and you've become lax. Maybe you made a commitment and through persecution and difficulty, you found it hard to follow through. Let me encourage you. Be at peace with God by renewing that commitment. Prince of Peace is your Prince of Peace. Appropriate that peace in your life this Christmas. Reconnect, recommit, and dedicate yourself to following Him. The most foolish thing we can do in the world is follow something that we sell ourselves short on. It appeals to us, it appears to be something that will fulfill us for the moment. But Christ Jesus fulfills us in a true way, a real way. He brings the real peace that we seek with God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father,